license to the regents of the University of Michigan to serve in the public interest of the people of the state of Michigan. For when the famous explorer Filter Antoine LaRue wandered into the swamps that were to become Ann Arbor, he had but one goal in mind, a radio station that would rise above all others, reach to the heavens and enlighten mankind forever. So if you're loyal to Michigan, tune us in. WCBN FM Ann Arbor, 88.3 in Michigan. All right, keep it down. It's uh, 6.30 in the evening. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is R. Wolf. I'm filling in for Mike Perini. Mike is, uh, is uh, well, he's resting because he has a cold. Lots of people are needing to just stay inside and stay warm, particularly people who are fighting the cold. Um, and that is the, the common or perhaps the uncommon cold. So, Mike, I hope you're feeling better soon. Uh, whatever it takes, hot beverages, um, staying uh, bundled up, laying in a, uh, a horizontal position, perhaps with the uh, upper part of your body slightly elevated, and uh, maybe we'll listen to some old records together. This is Pandora's Lunchbox, pursuant to Face the Music at 7 o'clock. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about um, food and culture and food. Here is a, uh, a hot pipe organ solo recorded in 1927 by Thomas Waller before they were putting the, uh, the name Fats Waller on his records. And let's see, this is, uh, Maceo Pinkard has a, uh, had a hand in composing this. The title appears to have something to do with sucrose. It's called Sugar. <laughs>
Benny Moten's Kansas City Orchestra, recorded in 1927, and that was the Ding Dong Blues. It was preceded by Ida Sweet as Apple Cider, Red Nichols and his Five Pennies with Pee Wee Russell, the clarinet, and Thomas Waller, that's Mr. Fats Waller himself, the original jazz organist, a hot pipe organ solo, his interpretation of the pop tune, Sugar. All of these from 1927. My name's R. Wolf. I'm filling in for Mike Perini on Pandora's Lunchbox, a show about food and culture and food, and also culture. Ding Dong Blues led me to investigate the uh, social context for Ding Dongs, at least in the second half of the 20th century and into the 21st. A Ding Dong, as you probably know, is a chocolate cake produced and distributed in the United States by Hostess Brands, currently owned by private equity firms Apollo Global Management and Metropolis & Company. It remains in production and distribution in Canada from Saputo Incorporated under the name King Don. No G on the end. Ding Dong production resumed in the United States on July 15, 2013, after an absence from American store shelves. It is round with a flat top and bottom close to three inches in diameter, slightly taller than an inch, similar in shape to a hockey puck. A white creamy filling is injected into the center, and a thin coating of chocolate glaze covers the cake. The ding-dong was originally wrapped in a square of thin aluminum foil, enabling it to be carried in lunches without melting the chocolate glaze. The ding-dong is similar to other cream-filled cakes, and uh, some of these were introduced even before the 1930s. Hostess began marketing its ding-dong in 1967. There's another seven These are all magnificent sevens. We just heard a bunch from 1927. The Ding Dong first hit the streets, uh, courtesy of Hostess Corporation, in 1967. The name was given to coincide with a television ad campaign featuring a ringing bell. Hostess went out of business November 16, 2012, stopping all production. So it's back uh, under, uh, under different management, as it were. There's speculation that this was all uh, part of the reason that Hostess had uh, a, a bit of a problem as a company. Was uh, It might have stemmed in part from the, uh, the Twinkie defense um, that, was, uh, that came up in a, a very famous murder trial. You know, the whole Harvey Milk um, assassination scandal. You can look that up if you wish, but I think it'd be more fun if we just went on and listened to some more old records, for example. And let's keep it sweet for a little while longer. Some more sweet stuff. This is called Chocolate Bar. It's a late entry from James P. Johnson from 1947, and I believe he might even be speaking on part of this, or somebody is. Chocolate Bar, James P. Johnson. Let's go. Well, Fats was working on a show with me called Keep Shuffling for Moon and Lyles in 1927. We wrote the score, and one day he came in with this melody, and we afterwards used it for two dances in the show. And we used to play it with two pianos. Well, we play it now with one, what do you say? That's huh? right. Okay, Jimmy, thanks. <laughs> ¶¶ 
that was invigorating. Uh, a reminder that even though sugar and and the uh, the highly touted sugar buzz might be a um, a source of what is regarded as quick energy, there's also a lot of health hazards associated with excessive sugar intake. Um, obesity and diabetes, of course, are the uh, the two most dangerous. Uh, offshoots of this kind of uh, scarfing, but it sure is fun, right? That was clarinet marmalade preceded by the Sugarfoot Stomp, both examples of what the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra sounded like in the year 1927. And we heard Chocolate Bar at James P. Johnson reminiscing about Fats Waller and playing a Fats Waller composition, one of dozens and dozens and dozens of songs that Fats Waller composed and never managed to record during his short life. That um, broadcast recording, James P. Johnson, 1947. This is Pandora's Lunchbox, a show about food and culture. And we're working up towards 7 o'clock. It's about 6.53 right now. My name's R. Wolf. I'm filling in for Mike. Hope you're feeling good, Mike. Hope you're feeling better. I would say some, uh, maybe a hot toddy might be in order. We're going to hear an, a, uh, a little more modern stuff here, uh, some Illinois jacket, and then going into a, a side by Count Basie. The, uh, the jacket piece is called Mutton Leg, so it seems like I should probably give you some social background since this is, in fact, a public affairs slot that this show is landing in. Mike is usually pretty good at giving you some kind of relevant or cheerfully irrelevant or even perplexingly weird information about uh, stuff that's uh, referred to in the songs. So let's talk about lamb and mutton. Lamb, hogget, and mutton are the meat of domestic sheep at different ages. A sheep in its first year is called a lamb, and its meat is also called lamb. The meat of a juvenile sheep older than one year is hogget, H-O-G-G-E-T. I didn't know this. Outside the USA, this is also a term for the living animal. (laughs) <laughs> That's grim. The meat of an adult sheep is mutton, a term only used for the meat, not the living animals. So you never hear someone calling their pet sheep, uh, say mutton, come over here. The term mutton is almost always used to refer to goat meat in the Indian subcontinent. I didn't know this either. Lamb is the most expensive of the three types, and in recent decades, sheep meat is increasingly only retailed as lamb, sometimes stretching the accepted distinctions given above. The stronger-tasting mutton is now hard to find in many areas, despite the efforts of the Mutton Renaissance Campaign in the U.K. Did you know they have that going on in the U.K.? I'm not sure what what uh, connection that has to Brexit, but with with, uh, with my luck, Brexit is probably another kind of uh, meat that we're not aware of. In Australia, the term prime lamb is often used to refer to lambs raised for meat. Um, Other languages, for example, French, Italian, and Arabic make similar or even more detailed distinctions between sheep meat by age, sometimes by gender and diet, though these languages do not use different words to refer to the animal and its meat. Animal, meat, they don't differentiate. Okay, that's about enough. I think with with this, we really need to cleanse the palate, as it were with a, uh, an Illinois jacket recording from 1947. This is called Mutton Leg. Don't think about it. (laughs) ¶¶ 
Monday. Make it a date and don't be late. You're gonna be drunk if you're not there, babe. Free eats, a free beat. Count Basie's Orchestra, 1947, Free Eats. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name's R. Wolf, and welcome to Face the Music. I've already been dishing out the Sevens. This is the final curtain, as it were, for the Magnificent Sevens series. A series of programs coordinated with the numeral Seven in observance of the closing days and weeks of the year 2017. I'd like to open with a uh, this hour with a uh, piece of music that appeared in 1917. The composer James P. Johnson. This is a uh, latter-day realization by the great William Albright. It's called Fascination. Fascination. 